that's probably uh, one lesson that I have learned about money. Because it's not just about accumulating, right? It's it's also once you have it or um, you know need to have it, then you have to figure out like what you're gonna do with it and then when. Um, and that part has been really um, interesting. A lot of things in professional life is really sales. Um, how to um, you know present yourself, how to you know make the right pitch about yourself, credentials and qualifications. Uh, and it doesn't matter what it is that you're uh, selling. It's you know in in the job search uh, process, you are really uh, selling, you know, your capabilities and your potential. Welcome to the Urban Income Show, where we speak with minority CEOs, CMOs, CTOs, founders, and other executives to learn about their strategies for success. I'm your host, Laval Chichester, the CEO of Growth Skills and Urban Income. Today's episode features Young Kim, Yang Kim is the CEO of Winolo, a company that is helping drive the future of work. Yang has a BA in statistics from Harvard and an MBA from Harvard Business School. He worked at Sequoia, Sequoia Capital Scouts, the Coca-Cola Company, and Deutsche Bank, to name a few. Um, Winolo's last round of funding was a 138 million round uh, growth round to continue their mi mission to make work flex flexible and fulfilling for everyone. Yang has truly lived the American dream and he is helping others live it as well. Um, Young, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is incredible because, you know, in, in reading your story and, and watching all the things, um, you've done so much and it's truly the American dream. So how do you introduce yourself to people? Yeah, um, so it, I, I'm, I'm blushing here a bit. Um, but when, when I'm usually with, uh, my friends and family members. So outside of work, I typically introduce myself as, you know, a father of three daughters of mm -hmm. um, three teenagers. Um, that's typically how I introduce myself. I usually don't like to talk about work because that's what I do 80% of my days anyway. Right. So um, at work, um, you know, professional setting, I typically introduce myself as an accidental entrepreneur or accidental mm -hmm. founder because uh, starting a company was never something that I had dreamed of. Um, and every time I think about how my life led me to where I am, I'm often surprised by, you know, unpredictability of life. So um, that's how I, I introduced myself. That's amazing. And and you decided on the mission of Winola and starting that company because you were helping another company IPO and it was the CFO who asked you, like, what do you actually want to do with your life? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, so I, you know, um, I came to the States when I was 15 years old. Um, so my entire family is still in South Korea. And I came here um, with this very broad dream of uh, following America, you know, following the American dream. And I didn't know what that meant. Um, but I went to school. And then um, in college, most of my uh, friends, um, thought that, you know, if you want to be successful, you have to go do management consulting or investment banking or be in Wall Street. And that was the path that I followed. Um, so uh, this was 2013. Um, I was uh, working on an IPO for a software company. Uh, I, was in, I was working in finance. And I was on the plane with uh, sitting next to the CFO of the company that I'm helping. And yeah, the CFO asked me what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I was just 
you know, sitting there not being able to respond and not knowing the answer. And um, it was a problem. I mean, that uh, answer really sat with me. I mean, the question sat with me and how I had a hard time answering even a simple question like that. And since that time, I did a lot of soul searching and tried to really figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, that led me to more entrepreneurial journey. That's amazing. And, you know, we asked about has where you're born and your nationality um, affected the work that you do. But I want to include this is like when you came to America, uh, you told that you told this story about, you know, you couldn't get a job as a dishwasher because you couldn't speak the language and um, the way you look. Right. So like. Then what happened? Yeah, so so this was um, early '90s, so way before the days of the internet and everything's you know uh, manual, right? So um, I would grab a town newspaper and then go through the classified section and then see you know who was hiring. And um, I mean, it took a while. Eventually, I found a job at a, a library to um, restock books and things like that. But um, you know that experience really. Um, highlighted how hard it was to live in a foreign country where you don't know the culture, don't speak the language. And, you know, before I uh, came here, uh, when I was living in South Korea, you know, under the umbrella of my parents, you know, who provided a secure environment, um, I just thought that, you know, everything would would work out uh, themselves if I were to just come come to the States and then figure things out. And turned out that it was not like that. It was it was not like what I saw on the TV or movies, and yeah, it, it turned out to be very hard. And there was a at point. Um, it was like two months in um, after coming to the states. Um, I almost packed my back and then went back to Korea because it was just so hard. Um, and but I stuck through it, and then uh, yeah, here I am. That's important. What gave you? So one, it's a, it's courageous risk to come by yourself at fifteen. Two, what gave you, what made you stay? What, like, what did you tell yourself? What, what motivation did you drive? Um, because part of this show is, yes, we, you know, I, one of the black guys in advertising, when I look around, was many of me, especially as you climb the ladder. And uh, I never let the stuff that happened to me set me back. So what was the, but I was older too, right? So I, I don't know if I could have done that at 15. I don't know. So, but what, what did you do, um, to like self-talk? Yeah. So what actually happened was that, um, I was, um, going to a boarding school in New Hampshire it's in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire. And then, uh, the boarding school has a very strict policies and set of policies and rules. Um, and what I did was I packed my bag, uh, at 5 AM and then left the dormitory, uh, that I was staying in. Um, and then I just walked, you know, for, I don't know, two, three, four, four hours. And then a car pulled over. <laughs> it was the, uh, it was the teacher from the school because the, the school just went crazy, right? Uh, the yeah, students yeah, sure. So, uh, he found me, uh, in the middle of the road. Uh, he's like, you know, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? He, he took me back to the campus and, um, the, the school was going to, um, uh, expel me, uh, because I violated one of the most important rules. Um, but one of the teachers basically st- stood up for me and said, Hey, um, think about, uh, being in his shoes, how hard it must be. Um, 
let's let's give him one more chance. And if he wants to stay, then let's let's make sure that we provide him the right support. If he doesn't want to stay, then yes, let's uh, part ways with him. So this teacher uh, took me to uh, his house um, and, you know, gave me the space. Like he didn't do, say anything, do anything. He just said, you can stay here, uh, but tomorrow morning you're going to make the decision. Um, so, so during that time, I, you know, cried and I thought about it, thought about it. And um, I thought a lot about, you know, what it took me to get to the States and the sacrifices that my parents made and all the promises that I committed to my parents and, you know, siblings. Um, and um, it felt like just giving up at the point, um, you know, um, would probably, um, you know, I, I don't learn anything from it. So I decided to give, give it, you know, one more chance. And then the school, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that, right? The second chance is something that I really believe in. That's amazing. Um, and someone, you know, I think this is why it's important for people to be self-aware and know that without that teacher, like speaking that into your life and not trying to force you, it really gives you that room. Like you said, I think that's incredible just from like a, a mentorship and how anyone listening know that words and actions really impact a life. Because look at, look at you now, like you're one of the best quotes I like, and we'll get here is you know, the in the Sequoia Capital article, it says the title is like how young Kim turned the opportunity he was given into opportunities for millions, right? Which is just like, it's just exactly what you did, right? And that probably wouldn't have happened had this teacher didn't step in. So I think that's powerful. Uh, what what would you, so someone trying to get a job, um, what advice would you give them? Yeah, so there are a few things uh, in terms of the process. Um, what I often recommend is that um, you know a lot of things in professional life is really sales. Um, how to um, you know present yourself, how to you know make the right pitch about yourself, credentials and qualifications, uh, and it doesn't matter what it is that you're uh, selling. It's you know in in the job search uh, process, you are really uh, selling you know your capabilities and your potential. Um, but it does require uh, some planning. Uh, what I mean by that is most times when people approach uh, the job market or job search process, uh, they they'll go to the job board and then you know probably apply to 100 or 200 any open jobs that they think they could work, right? They click and submit resume and, and hope that you know something uh, bites and then they get a response. And I think that, uh, you know, casting the wide net and, and taking the easy way, um, I don't think that's as, that can be as successful. What I, what I would prefer or what I would recommend instead is that uh, if there are certain companies that you really, really love, uh, you know, whether it's their products or services or what they stand for, uh, and then the, uh, you recognize that they're looking for um, talent in certain functions, then figure out who the hiring manager is, or who you are going to report to, or who the uh, who the CEO or executive team members are, and then um, you know do some research about those people, like not about the company, but those people, and then reach out to them directly. Um, and most likely, they may not respond to you, but don't don't stop there. Right, follow up in three days. Um, if they don't respond, uh, follow up seven times until they respond. Um, I, I think that, um, 
being super clear around uh, what you want and what types of companies and who you want to work with, and then just going after them and then constantly pitching and selling, I think that results in a significantly higher success rate than trying to cast a wide net and then sending a lot of resumes and hoping that something will come out of that process. Uh-huh. I love that because you practice. So if, if you take that, okay, I'm, I'm trying to get a job. If you take that advice to what you did when you're raising capital, right? So now for all you entrepreneurs who have a business and you're trying to, you're trying to either raise money, you did the same thing. You called, it was very difficult for you to actually raise because you're a B2B to C platform. And in the beginning, you have to like bang the, bang the phones and, and dial, you know, all of over a hundred um, VCs to to get that, and and just so the grind, just so you know, the sales process is a grind, right? There are comp- there's there's uh, platforms like Seamless AI where you could get anyone's contact information and an email and call up, right? But then seven touches at least sometimes to actually get them on the line and all of that. So what was that process for any any more mature people who are trying to actually raise money right now and, and are listening? Yeah, so um, you're absolutely right. Um, the sometimes you know fundraising is a numbers game. Um, so what you are trying to do is uh, find the anchor investor or lead investor that will say yes. And because once you find that uh, anchor, then it gets easier. Um, so it's the numbers game. You have to reach out to um, um, as many uh, VCs or investors that you think could be the right fit. Um, and then you have to really understand uh, what they do, what types of investments that they have made. Now, from there on, it's the it's the grit. Um, they are, you know, expect that they are going to say no. Um, you will get rejected by you know ninety plus percent of the investors. But that's that's part of the game, right? Because at the end of the day, um, all you need is just one yes, and then um, from there on, uh, you know, things are a lot more manageable. So. Uh, until you get the first yes, um, be okay with getting uh, rejections. Um, it, it's not you. It's it, that's just how it is. Um, but constantly follow up, uh, update them. Um, you know, make sure that when they see your name in the inbox, they recognize your name and know who you are. Um, that's where where, where you want to be. So, yeah, I mean, there's no real magic um, other than. Um, a bit of brute forcing and then uh, pure grit and be okay with, uh, you know, facing rejections constantly. Yeah. I, I think that end part is that no is just, it doesn't, a sale doesn't start until you get the no. And it's an actual sale, right? Yeah. So that's what I learned, um, um, you know, when I started, you know, in my journey in sales. Um, so that's incredible. So now I, I love this and I think this will be part of your answer. But on LinkedIn, you call yourself the CEO, Chief Empathy Officer, right? And I, I just love it. And so the question is, what what makes a good CEO and leader in general of a company? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that I'm still uh, learning and uh, trying to have better understanding of, you know, what makes a great leader? Um, and one of the questions that I often ask in interviews. So let's, you know, with job candidates, whether it's a VP level or manager level, there's one question that I often ask, which is, what is the difference between a leader and a manager? Um, and then you'd be surprised, even, um, you know, C-level executive, um, you know, candidate, 
they would stumble on it. They, they would kind of like fumble on the answer and then have a hard time. Um, so in my view, so in my uh, leadership philosophy, uh, leadership is an intersection of three things. So the first one is what I call self, and I'll, I'll elaborate a bit more. And then the second one is called uh, skills. And then the third one is style. Um, and then uh, for you to be a great leader, um, you need to hone in on these three things. So the first one, the self is um, understanding who you are. So, you know, do you know who you are? Um, and are you constantly um, learning and growing uh, from all the crucible moments in your life? And um, make sure that you yourself are authentic and staying true to who you are. That's the self part. Um, and most leaders um, that that I have met, uh, whenever I ask them, like, do you know who you are? Uh, many times, like they say, like, you know, what do you mean? Of course, I know who, they, who I am. But um, the truth is that that is probably one of the hardest questions that anyone can answer in their lives, right? So uh, that part is really important. Like, if you don't understand who you are, how can you lead others uh, in an authentic way? The second part, skills, is what may uh, what many people uh, view it as kind of managing uh, teams, uh, situations, or people. So it'll be conflict resolutions, how to hire and and terminate, um, you know, uh, team members, um, how to you know navigate through difficult uh, situations, how to. Uh, influence uh, other team members and then how to come up with the right strategies, things like that. Uh, I think those skill sets are really important to hone in on and constantly uh, learn um, and, and improve. The, the last part is the style. And I think style is what, you know, people generally um, relate leadership as. So like some people may have, you know, directive uh, leadership style. Others may have coaching style. Others may have democratic or consensus driven and um, I don't believe in you know you know one person having just one, but but many styles, um, but applying them in different situations. So if you're in a crisis um, and your general mode of leadership style is you know consensus driven, consensus driven during the crisis doesn't work. So you you may have to adapt to more directive style. And then can, you know how can you quickly uh, change your style to ensure that you can lead in the right place. So um, best leaders that I have seen um, are strong in understanding themselves. They have an amazing management style and um, skills, and then they have a versatile leadership styles that they can apply in different situations. And those are kind of the three elements that I think about leadership. That is one of the best and concise, uh, easy to follow answers ever. Thank you. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm taking notes, by the way. So I just got an education. Um, so let's move after this. So you you came here. You're helping others um, with Winolo. So what does Winolo do? Yeah. So we are a uh, job marketplace that connects companies with workers for frontline jobs. So um, these are jobs that are um, not done in the office, but actual in-person, uh, physical, hourly, um, you know, uh, jobs. Um, that are done for whether it's retail or warehousing, supply chain, you know, hospitality. Um, and we uh, make it seamless and easy for companies and workers to get connected uh, through our technology. Um, and we are available uh, across the U.S. and 
um, you know, we've helped uh, millions of people finding jobs. That's pretty incredible. Is it an app like on iOS or is it web-based app like how or, you know, Google Play Store? How many yeah, people? It could be uh, so for under, for the workers that are looking for jobs, um, it's 100% uh, app based, whether it's okay. iOS or Android or companies that are using uh, our service. It could be app or it could be, you know, web, um, you know, portal. That's amazing. And um, what do you what, how did COVID affect your business? Was it? Yeah. Yeah, because you're you're in person, right? Yeah. So initially, it was um, very challenging, and we weren't sure how you know we were going to uh, navigate through COVID. But it turned out that many companies uh, really struggled to find workers, so they have to think differently um, around you know how to connect with workers and go beyond what they were used to in the traditional sense. So um, you know. COVID actually helped our business tremendously because um, it really changed the notion of how companies and workers get connected. And it is something that for the past, you know, more than, you know, five decades, um, it, it didn't really see any changes in the stock market. Like, you know, it was everyone should come between, you know, 9 to 5 p.m., you know, Monday through Friday, and then you work this much. And um, you know, if you have to take time off, you couldn't do that uh, unless you're risking um, your job availability. But uh, during COVID, with solutions like what we are providing that provides you know, ultimate flexibility, uh, many companies and the workers could leverage, um, you know, being able to work whenever and wherever they want to. That's amazing. And so what are you most proud of that you've done in the last five years? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one thing that I'm really proud of is obviously uh, the team uh, that has built an incredible amount of grit. So in the past five years, uh, you know, we are coming out of the um, early stage startup, you know, phase. Mm -hmm. uh, we had multiple early, you know, uh, startup uh, near-death moments, um, but you know, the team still uh, persevered and then um, they they prevailed. And then we uh, hit COVID um, and we weren't sure how we were going to survive it, but we did. Uh, and then now, you know, we are going through, um, you know, uncertain economic uh, environment with high interest rate and inflations. And I see the team still, you know, going above and beyond uh, to face the new challenge. So, um, you know, changes and challenges have been always constant, but in each situation, uh, we didn't give up and we stuck through it and continued to uh, fight. Um, and that part, I'm, I'm just really proud. Like, and, and I think this goes back to, you know, one of the first things that you and I talked about is when you are faced with challenges, like, do you, do you give up, turn around, or do you, you know, dig in and then, you know, keep fighting? I think that's the part that, um, you know, often helped me uh, expand my comfort zone and grow the most. Um, so that, that's the part that I'm really proud of. Yeah, no, I think that's really important, especially when you mentioned near death for, on the startup life and, and, and all of that. And then, like, you know, the talk about recession, I think the Fed said that it's not going to happen. Employment is like 3.5%, I think, right now. We, you know, it's everything's looking good and, and people are spending. So they say that, you know, even though they said it's going to happen, there's no recession. But um, I think that my sort of grit right, and that sort of thing comes like, you know, you go to karate, I've done karate all my life. And when I tell people the martial arts has nothing to do with kicking and punching, everything to do with life, right? 
to the times I use my black belt is when everyone is is like, ah, this is not going to work out. You just got to be like, you just move forward with with a sense of a sense of poise because from a leadership standpoint, they're watching you. So if you like swerve and and crack, you know, then everyone going to jump off the ship. But I think that's important, and I've seen people who can't handle that stress, and and it's not it's not good. So I think that's a very important thing to to um to to if you're listening and watching to know it's that just move forward, have a plan, move forward, and managing like pain and, and fear basically is what entrepreneurship is about, right? Um, I don't you know if you're good at what you do, you could pivot, you could stay nimble there is success right that's 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 from what i've seen so i think that's that's pretty incredible and um so let's talk about your daily routines any anything you do that keeps you healthy and and um and adds to the success yeah i mean i i do uh what many people do try to exercise regularly uh uh one thing that that i didn't do well uh, in my 20s and 30s and early 40s. I'm, I'm now, you know, mid 40s and and up. Uh, was uh, sleep like I really undervalued uh, the the importance of sleep. So I, you know, on average I used to sleep, you know, four hours, maybe five on good days. But I was like, oh, sleep is overrated, and I'm just gonna plow through long hours. But lately, I realized um, you know how important sleep um, is, so I tried to get good night's sleep. Um, but aside from those uh, things, one thing that I do um, practice a lot is um, uh, making decisions uh, every day. Which it, which so humans uh, in general, on average, uh, make thirty five thousand uh, decisions every day, like mm. something as small as uh, you know should I brush my teeth before I go to sleep or um, you know, uh, should I drink water even if I'm not thirsty? Like that's all part of the decisions, right? And even now, like I'm sure in the past half an hour, we made tons of decisions on, you know, what should I ask or how should I answer? Like, I was like yeah. yeah, but um, aside from those types of decisions, um, you know, as an entrepreneur and then as, as a, um, you know, CEO, there are constant decisions that I have to make, um, and some are, you know, hard decisions. Some are probably not so hard, but it, it is a decision. And um, what I tell myself is, um, if I have to think about something uh, three, four, five times, then it's time for me to make a decision. Uh, stop overthinking, overanalyzing. Just make a decision and move on. And that is something uh, that I've been practicing a lot. So at the end of the day, I'll ask myself. What decisions have I made? What decisions have I not made? And uh, what do I want to do about it? And that has helped me uh, bring more clarity to how how I want to approach uh, daily, you know, managerial duties. Um, and so that that's what I would add. I didn't think about that. Um, do you like write it down in track? I haven't done that yet. Maybe that's a good idea. It's I usually what I. Um, what I do is, um, let's say that I'm, I don't know, I'm having lunch, right? Like I'm, I'm eating and then I find myself thinking about a, a problem instead of like really tasting the food or enjoying it. Okay. Then I'm, then it is something, right? It's, it, it's something stuck. And, and what that means is that I'm not making a decision and that's why I'm, I'm sitting on it. So then I say, I need to make a decision. Um, okay. 
and then move on. Yep. That's pretty powerful because you probably get a lot more done and even just like free up other people to actually move on. If it, if there's a decision that impacts someone else's work within the org and all of that, right? Yep. I mean, it's, it's even like as simple as like, um, oh man, like I need to go to uh, grocery shopping because tonight is my dinner duty, right? Should I go now or later? Yeah. I mean, if you have to ask that question, just go go now and then get that wrong. Take care of it uh, <laughs> instead of saying like later, like later when then, right? So yeah. um, it, it makes um, daily routine a lot more efficient. Yeah, that goes along with the saying, eat the frog, where it's like, I don't know if you've heard of it, where it's like, do the hardest thing early. So eat the frog in the morning if you have a choice. Don't put off that thing that you have to do. Uh, just get it done early. Uh, that, that's cool. Um, what uh, what do you wish you would have done with your money sooner? That's an interesting question. So to be honest with you, um, I have never uh, been interested in money or never been really good with money, maybe because I, I don't understand money very well. Um, um, but I think what I have learned over the years um, is that, uh, you know, when people talk about like investing or saving or how to effectively, you know, make or use money, they t- talk a lot about like where to uh, purchase, like, should I buy this stock or should I buy houses or should I do this job or not? But uh, what I have found um, uh, to be even harder um, is not necessarily, you know, what to buy, when to buy or where to buy or how to buy, but it's more around like when to sell or how to sell or like what to sell. Like, I think that decision has been especially hard. and I wish that um, I had a better skills around when to let go and how to let uh, things go. That That's probably uh, one lesson that I have learned about money because um, it's not just about accumulating, right? It's it's also once you have it or, um, you know, need to have it, then you have to figure out like what you're going to do with it and then when. Um, and that part has been really kind of interesting. So like, for example, like, Let's say that you invest in a stock, like you have yeah. uh, some of money. You invest in a stock, but um, you don't you don't get the return until you sell it, right? So, so mm-hmm. when are you gonna sell it? Uh, is it now or later? Or and, and that part is really hard. It's funny. I was speaking with another C, uh, CEO, and he he told me a story about he bought this stock, and he then to your point, he sold it too soon, and and it's a popular stock. It's like, and he was, it was on this show and he made some money and he said, if I would have held on, it's like, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't have to work. And, and, you know, like, so if he would have held it for 10, 20 years and he bought it like really, really early, it's like, you know, I think about Apple or Tesla, like really early or yeah. Amazon really early. Um, and he was like, if you just waited 20 years and then you're so like, that's life changing. Right. And yeah, so he's yeah. like, that's what I regret. And it's like, but like understanding, but that, to your point, it's all about that sell. Like, when do you sell? So, which is, which is, I don't think people think like that. Yeah. Or sometimes you, you sell too late, right? After um, the peak or, um, yep. What unique uh, jobs did you have outside of your, your main career? Like side hustles, if you'd like. Um, so when I have a job, I, I usually go all in. So hundred percent. So, Usually, I usually don't have any side hustles. Um, 
but in terms of um you know um making extra um incomes or like hobbies through hobbies or uh, whatnot um i do have one interesting um uh, unique uh thing that that i do which is um it's which is around cars i've never um i've driven all my cars for free um so it, it's a it's a weird thing um so cars are depreciating assets, right? So people mm -hmm. buy cars and then over time, as you use, uh, the value of the car um, goes down. Um, so you you never make money or you never recoup the money that you put into the car. Um, but I have a different view, which is that um, if you find used cars that have uh, depreciated enough and then there are not enough uh, that was made, um, you know, uh, during that era, mm -hmm. then over time, um, there some people develop sentimental values, um, and then the the value actually holds up. Or sometimes, even in certain cases, it goes up. So I usually buy those types of cars. So, for example, mm -hmm. many years ago, I bought this uh, car. It was like twenty years old Honda Prelude. It was well maintained by one person. Uh, I purchased it uh, very cheap. Uh, and then I, I drove it for a few years. And then uh, when, so this is like the question around, when do you sell it? And mm -hmm. I sell it. when I sold it, it was, I sold it for significantly more than I bought it for. So I drove the car for free and then I made, yeah. uh, you know, additional money on top. So yeah, not on this additional money, I bought another car yeah. um, that I could afford. Same thing, drove it for uh, many years and then sold it uh, for a little bit more. Um, so I have never, uh, really like paid for cars and that, that maybe I don't know if that's called side hustle. No, that's incredible. I mean, yeah. I don't know what, it, it, it's not a job. Ah, it's crazy. not a job. Yeah. It's, it's just yeah, that yeah. I, need, I love cars. I need cars, yeah. but I, you know, how can I, um, enjoy it without, uh, paying for it? Yeah. Um, is, yeah. Yeah. Damn. That's great. And that's adding the, like, I think people miss that of the sentimental value, I think you could use uh, what I would, what I would recommend anyone listening, because I'm going to do this is that way of thinking, well, what else has sentimental value that you could probably do the same flip on. Right. Um, which is, that's pretty interesting. Now, <laughs> you know, I do believe that, um, so with money, um, I usually, uh, spend it on things that I can recoup. Um, so whether I can resell later, um, or uh, recoup in a sense of, um, you know, amazing memories or experiences. Um, but if it's just like wasted things that um, are going to go away, I, I tend to not spend on those things. That's incredible. What last bit of advice would you give uh, to your younger self? Yeah, so when I was younger, I was, um, I prioritized more around um, you know, what job pays the most, uh, you know, what titles am I going to be proud of? What field would give me the most prestige? Um, things like that, more, more shiny things. Uh, but then I realized that, um, that was, um, even though those were, uh, amazing, uh, experiences and amazing things. Um, uh, but what really made me happy, uh, and that where I actually learned the most and grew the most, uh, was, finding a place that I, um, could really be challenged and I'm constantly surrounded by people that are high performers 
that are willing to coach me, uh, you know, carve some time outside of their busy schedule to coach me. Um, and regardless of how much those jobs paid or what types of titles uh, were given to me, as long as I was uh, in those in environments, um, I had the biggest fulfillment and, and happiness in my career that also led to more successes. So um, if you are, you know, if I'm um, telling to my younger self, don't worry about money, don't worry about titles, prestige, uh, just, you know, constantly put yourself in a challenging situations, overcome difficulties, um, and then things will work out because at the end, like in the end, what you're doing is you're investing in yourself. Right. And I think I want to pair that with the comment you said before about you don't have side hustle, so you don't have something on the side. And I'm a big side hustle guy. But what I, what I remember is I could say that because I've reached places in my career where I earned the right to sort of do that. Right. And I remember when I first started in this agency, you know, 14 years, people that, at that company, they didn't, they couldn't build what I was building because I'm self-taught. I saw the work differently, but it took a thousand percent of my focus and, and just grit to sort of change it. And the reward from that was I grew the group when no one could grow it. And then that put me on ad ages 40 under 40. If I was fiddling with something on the side, I would have folded because it was just, you just got to be like so focused and so precise. It was just impossible. So when you're listening, um, I think Young is right. You know, focus on the, the challenge because it's those challenges that put you in the position to, to be successful. And money is not like the side hustle. If you feel safe and secure that you don't, the company will take care of you. It's better. It's all, you know, it's best to give your all. Because you're going to come out of that, you know, like a diving under that pressure. Um, so that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. What's the nicest thing someone has ever done for you? Yeah, um, I think I would go back to um, some of the earlier points about the second chance. Um, and I, I've had a lot of second chances uh, in my life, whether it was from a teacher or my um uh, co-workers, even my co-founders. Um, and I think when some, someone provides me with a second chance, even after I failed, even after I screwed up, made a huge mistake or hurt them, um, I'm truly grateful because it really tells me that they trust, uh, they trust me and that they see something in me to allow me to have the second chance. Uh, and then usually through those second chances that I've come out stronger. Um, so yeah, I think, um, offering the second chance is, uh, probably one of the nicest, um, powerful things that anyone can do to others. That is incredible. Yeah. I like to end with this. There's, if there's one minority leader in your ecosystem that you trust that would drop some amazing, uh, knowledge on our audience, who would that be? We'd love an introduction. Yeah, um, I would say definitely, um, I would love to introduce you to Vlada from Marco Polo. Um, and she's fantastic. Um, all the um, topics that you care about, um, she'll have an amazing uh, set of perspectives. Um, I'm happy to you know, connect the two of you. Amazing. I'm looking forward to that. Um, so we'll end here. Thank you, Young, for being here uh, today. And thank you, everyone, for tuning, tuning in to the Urban Income Show. I hope you found this episode informative and inspiring. Please remember to subscribe to our channel and follow us on social media. I'll see you on the next one.